0: This morning, we are continuing our studies in the book of James, and so if you have your Bible with you, would you turn, please, to James chapter 3, verse 13, and you'll find it on page 1883, 1883 of the church Bible. If you're watching from home this morning on our live stream broadcast and you're doing so for the first time, let me encourage you to join us on a regular basis on a Sunday morning. And at this point, as we open up and study God's Word together, it would be good for you at home to have a Bible sitting there on your lap and follow along in our study. And so, we know that over the last few weeks in chapter 3, James has been focusing on the use of the tongue. And this morning, we're coming to the latter section of chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And James begins by asking a question. He writes, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom.'" But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Most of us from time to time have a tough week, And it's often determined by circumstances and situations at home or in our place of work. And inevitably, we sometimes get to the end of a week, and we breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, thank goodness that's over. And this past week, someone sent me the following. It would be great if only someone would give me a hug and say, I know it's hard, you're going to be okay. Here's a cup of coffee and $8 million. (laughs) And of course, the reason we're smiling is we have been in the receiving end of folks getting alongside us and saying, it's okay. I'm praying for you. I'm there for you. How can I help? The $8 million, of course, would help, but only to some extent. And of course, we smile. And this morning, As we come to the end of chapter 3, James is writing about what it means to respond to a situation that has been tough, challenging, one of those situations where we look back and think, wow, that was hard going. And James, as you know, has been writing in a style that is practical, hard-hitting, at times very challenging, and he does so again this morning. Now, remember what James is saying. He's saying it's not that you won't go through tough days, but who is wise and understanding among you? And in fact, I would want to add there, just to paraphrase what James is saying, it's not so much when we go through tough days, because inevitably that happens, but how do we to those tough experiences. Experiences that at times are hurtful. The experience wounds us. We are, as a result, emotionally debilitated. And James is saying, who has wisdom and understanding to grasp all that's taking place when we are wounded in heart? And then he goes on and says, if you understand what's happening, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And so, the emphasis this morning is, how do you respond when friendships rupture, turn sour, things are said? when they really needn't have been said, and how do you begin from there? Or how do you begin when a romance falls apart, a romance which you cared about, one that you were heavily invested in, or a marriage begins to crumble and ends in divorce, and the divorce is bitter and debilitating? and hurtful. How do you pick yourself up and begin afresh? And James is saying, who is wise and understanding among you to respond to these sorts of situations? And so that's where James is going this morning. And notice how he begins. He begins with, who is wise and understanding? And that word understanding is epistemon is a Greek word that, in essence, focuses on, well, actually, the better way of saying it, it's a word that's used, the word understanding is better used of an expert. Someone who, through experience, observation, years of training, can say, in this situation, I would entirely expect it to turn out like this, and is speaking from a position of being an expert, is insightful, discerning, understands what's taking place. That's what James is writing from here. In other words, James is saying learning is for living. And so, on Sunday mornings, when we open up the Scriptures, we don't simply open them up and read them and learn them, so we can leave with knowledge. But that knowledge has to be move towards application. Because we're never simply interested in information, we're interested in transformation. And that's where James is going. Who is wise in understanding among you and can respond so that when you go through days like that, you'll know exactly what to do? Sometimes I think we find it easier to understand the biblical principles when we see them lived out in a biblical character. And so our study this morning is a little different from where we've been over the last few weeks. We will, of course, be immersing ourselves in the passage, looking at those principles, but also watching them lived out in the life of someone we can see similarities with our own life. And so, let me take you way back to Genesis chapter 40, Genesis 41. There is so much in this story that we simply couldn't read all that's taking place this morning. So, please forgive me if I describe it for you. Joseph is one of the great characters of the Old Testament, not simply the book of Genesis, but the entirety of the Old Testament. Joseph had had a tough time over the previous few years. He comes from a dysfunctional family, indulged by his father, and then to his absolute horror and surprise, he is physically attacked by his brothers, badly beaten, and sold into slavery in Egypt. And his brothers, in fact, tell his father that he's dead. And can you imagine what it's like to fall out with a family member so badly that they physically attack you and sell you into slavery? Could you imagine that? And can you imagine how Joseph felt that first night several years before this takes place, that night when he was sold into slavery on his way to Egypt? Do you imagine himself? He was probably in his teens at that stage, late teens, crying himself to sleep, wondering what on earth has happened. Why would my brothers do this? Talk of a tough week, that was Joseph. Talk about needing wisdom and understanding to make sense of all that's taking place, that was Joseph. And then over the next few chapters, Joseph is entered into the house of Potiphar He begins to show an ability to help around the house. He goes up through various promotions, and he's given control over the entire house. And during those chapters, the single refrain that comes out again and again and again is this, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. Joseph, sadly, is wrongly accused of harassment. He then is found guilty and is imprisoned. And can you imagine Joseph again that night, having looked back over the last few years, saying, I've just gotten over the trauma of my experience with my brothers. I've just been given promotion. The Lord was with me. Things are going well. I was tested in my faith, and I came through that test perfectly, refused to give in to temptation, refused to participate in it. And now I am in prison for several years for something I didn't do, for actually passing a test. And the Lord was with Joseph, And you might be sitting there or watching on live stream and saying, Richard, it doesn't feel as if the Lord was with Joseph. What on earth is going on here? And I suspect that's exactly how Joseph felt. Then as you come to Genesis 40 and then in 41, Joseph discovers what so many of us have discovered since that seeming opportunities of God open on the smallest of hinges. Now, let me say that again. It's easy to miss it. The doors of opportunity from God often open on the smallest of hinges. And while Joseph is incarcerated in prison, over here, Pharaoh, the most powerful leader on the face of the earth in those days, was offended by his butler and his cupbearer. The butler laid out Pharaoh's clothes, dressed him, and was pretty close to Pharaoh. The cupbearer prepared his foods, exact food and meals, exactly the way he wanted them. He then tasted them before Pharaoh did, so he would not be poisoned. And these were close, intimate servants with Pharaoh. Both offended them, and they were put in prison. And guess which prison they were put into. Remember opportunities of God open on the smallest of hinges? They ended up in the same prison as Joseph. And then they had dreams who could interpret dreams? Joseph. And Joseph tells them exactly what their dreams mean and the significance of the dreams. And it turns out that both were freed a few days later. Sadly, the butler was executed, but the cupbearer went back to serving Pharaoh in the royal court. And in the moments before the cupbearer was let free, I imagine Joseph saying to himself the opportunities for god open on the smallest of hinges and he pulls them to one side and at the end of chapter 40 we read these words joseph leans over and says to the cupbearer remember me joseph when you speak to Pharaoh, tell him how unjustly I've been treated. Tell him I'm an innocent man. Tell him I deserve to be set free. And off the cupbearer goes. And imagine Joseph that night, lying in his prison cell, thinking, at last, I have the ear of Pharaoh. He will grant me my freedom. I will be out of here in a couple of days. And for the next 48, 72 hours, I imagine Joseph listening for the key in the door, listening for the captain of the guard coming to say, Joseph, you've been set free. Pharaoh has heard about your case. And none of that happens. None of that happens. In fact, the Scriptures tell us the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Now, can you imagine Joseph when it dawns on him exactly what is taking place? And he realizes his freedom is not coming, and can you imagine? the enormous disappointment, the hurt, the pain, the debilitating frustration, and also his prayers. Father, why am I bothering even praying? You have let me down again and again and again and again. Look back over my life. It's a disaster, one unmitigated disaster after another, after another, after another. What on earth are you doing? Why would you behave this way? How is it possible I would upset one vast eternal plan if you had given me my freedom? What is going on? And I imagine Joseph turning over and facing the wall and once again crying himself, To sleep. But God was still at work. And God was not changing the outward circumstance of Joseph's existence. He was changing the internal dynamics of his heart. And he was preparing Joseph for what was to come. Joseph would become. After Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, he was about to become the prime minister of Egypt. But Joseph didn't know it. And what's more, he didn't know he wasn't ready. If you had interviewed Joseph on the days immediately after the cupbearer had been given his freedom and said, Joseph, do you feel you have enough maturity to be the prime minister of Egypt? He would have said yes. Joseph, do you feel you need to learn perseverance and long suffering and patience? No, I don't. What I need is my freedom. I need justice. That's what I want, and I want it now. And in the midst of all of his pain and grief and deep disappointment, he could not understand what God was doing. Remember the question in James, who is wise and understanding? What does understanding mean? Insight, discernment, an ability to grasp what is taking place and then respond with maturity and grace. That's what James is saying. Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. That's what... Joseph needed, and he could not see it. And I also suspect this. At the end of chapter 40, when Joseph says to the cupbearer, remember me, Joseph, in my very limited imagination, I imagine God saying, oh, Joseph, I wish you hadn't said that. Joseph, why did you feel the need to try and manipulate and maneuver the situation? Why did you get your fingers in the pie and mess it up? Because Joseph was convinced he needed to take action. Joseph was convinced he needed to defend himself. Joseph had talked himself into the belief that if only he could take the initiative, then everything would turn out well. And God was saying, Joseph, don't you trust me? Joseph, don't you think I'm sufficient for all of this? Don't you think I've got it? And if you are tempted to think that God has given up on you and is refusing to answer your prayers, please remember this, God was not finished with Joseph, and neither is He finished with you. Remember the principle that great opportunities for God, often those doors open on the smallest of hinges… As the prison door was closing, the palace door was opening. Why? It's not that Joseph had a dream. It's not that the cupbearer had a dream. It wasn't even the captain of the guard who had the dream. It was Pharaoh had a dream. In fact, he had two of them. And then at long last, eventually, the cupbearer says, You know, that reminds me. I was in prison a few years ago. I met a man who could interpret a dream. Pharaoh, why don't we ask for him? And Joseph finds himself standing in front of Pharaoh, washed clean, new robe, completely shaved. And how does Joseph respond to Pharaoh? who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And I would have to tell you that if I had been Joseph, I would have been standing there in front of Pharaoh and saying, Almighty Pharaoh, ruler of all that you can perceive, I am Joseph. I have come out of prison today, but I never should have been in prison. And Pharaoh, let me tell you about all those years ago when I was attacked unjustly by my brother, sold into slavery, went to prison on false charges, and then that idiot of a cupbearer forgot to mention me to you. Pharaoh, dismiss him, and I will gladly interpret all your dreams and tell you of the significance of each one of them, but I won't do it while you continue to hire this idiot. But not Joseph, with wisdom. And understanding Joseph does not point to himself. His past no longer defines who he is. It neither does it determine his future. Because while Joseph was serving time in prison, God was changing his heart and his mind and his soul and drawing him into a deeper relationship with himself. He was teaching him and molding him and forming him into the person he would be. That's what God was doing when the rest of us looked on and thought God was doing nothing, and God was creating the next prime minister of Egypt. When we are tempted in the middle of tensions in a relationship to attack the other person, When we are tempted to say to everyone else who knows them, let me tell you about them. Let me tell you exactly what they did to me. Let me tell you that you cannot trust them and stay away from them. They are absolutely useless. And none of that took place in the life of Joseph. When you're tempted to run down a spouse, complain about your children, tempted to attack someone you used to be romantically involved with, do not allow the past to determine who you are or define your future. The rest of James, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Joseph refused to be a victim. Was he a victim? Absolutely. Was he a victim to other people's selfish desires? Yes, he was, But he refused to allow victimhood to determine who he was. And what's more, Joseph understood this, that his relationship with God determined who he was and his confidence lay in the love of his heavenly Father. And I cannot help wondering if that day when Pharaoh then promoted him to be his closest confidant, I don't think for a moment there was tears that night, because that night I think he heard these words, "'And the Lord was with Joseph.'" And the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph. And what did we say five minutes ago? The Lord was not finished with Joseph, and He is not finished with you. When Joseph eventually becomes prime minister, he never says a bad word about his brother's or Potiphar's wife, or anything else. He has grown. He has matured. He has wisdom. He has insight. And he's grateful to God for it all. And he understands this. Going to the palace was not the end of Joseph's experience. It was only the beginning. A broken, contrite, submissive heart surrendering to trust in the living God was so much more important to Joseph than anything he would ever do, because what he was about to do in terms of being the prime minister was a reflection of the man he was. So when you're seeking wisdom, when you're seeking understanding, when you are prayerfully asking, Lord, how do I begin to move forward? Refuse to play the victim. Rise up above it. Refuse to allow the past to determine or define who you are, but you can absolutely trust Him for every day to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable story of Joseph. For those of us going through tough and difficult days, whether it be tension in a marriage, difficulty in a friendship, complex problem at work, fearful, uncertain about our future, please enable us not to be defined by the past, but grant to us, please, O God, God, stability, and deep dependency. Take from us the bruised and crushed experiences of disappointment and unrealized dreams, and enable us, please, to rest in You, the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.